The passage on which our sermon this morning is based comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 26. It's always helpful for you to have your Bible open as Brian will be walking through this text with us. You can actually find this text on page number 961 in your pew Bible. So grab that, take a look at it, and let's read together uh, God's word for us as Paul instructs us about the resurrection. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that's with, that's with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and you so believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed and raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We're not even found to be, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that he, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God, the kingdom uh, uh, to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I know uh, we probably have some visitors here that are maybe dropping your children off at college, and uh, we are thankful that you're here. My name is Brian Sorgenfry, uh, and I'm one of the uh, pastors on staff. Uh, we are going through the Apostles' Creed. We're going to make it through the first half, and we're saying the Apostles' Creed takes this million-word Bible and reduces it down to a few phrases of what Christians throughout all of history and across the globe believe. And we're looking at where we say, I believe on the third day he rose again from the dead. So here's what I want you to think about. My 10-year-old son, Clark, and I, what we have been doing at night is we have been watching the Mission Impossibles, uh, trying to get to, uh, to watch this one in theater, and we're trying to make it through the uh, fourth book of Harry Potter. So those things are going on in our house, and think about that, because the way that like, we watch movies and read maybe fantasy you know, stories uh, before we go to bed 
We see them as escapes from reality, right? Because they don't really do anything because they're not real. You know, Hogwarts isn't real. Ethan Hunt isn't real. And so as we read those things, they might create some fun, fun memories, but they don't, they don't change anything about reality. It doesn't change the fact that I'm still going to die one day. It doesn't change the fact that uh, there's still selfishness and sin in me that still hurts other people every day. Those bedtime stories don't change the fact that there's a world filled with violence and there's still darkness. And a bedtime story it, like, can't keep the world, I guess, from one day just burning up because they're not real. And I'm going to quote my friend uh, Ricky Jones. Actually, a lot of this stuff was helpful from him. He says this. If Jesus did not rise again from the grave on the third day, then all Christianity is is a nice bedtime story. That's all it is. It might make you feel good. Maybe it'll improve your life a little bit, but it has nothing to do with real life, and it will not change you. But if, in fact, Christ is raised from the dead, then that is the cosmic fact of world history that means we have to reckon with it. And so as we look at this passage that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, he's actually, you can see this in verse 12, he's writing to a church, to Christians who have started forgetting the reality of the resurrection, and this is what he writes. And so it's this giant reminder. And so we're just going to see three things, the reality of the resurrection, and then we're going to see the meaning of the resurrection. That's, when, that's what's going to take the, uh, the longest. And then we're going to uh, conclude with just an application or two. So first, the reality of the resurrection, verse 1 through 15, right? Look at verse 3. Paul's reminding them that he taught and he preached to them. He's the one who planted this church. And when he, when he got to Corinth, he started telling them the fact that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. All four gospel accounts record this. This is, uh, in summary, what happens. The claim is that God himself became a real human. He took on human flesh in the person of Jesus 2,000 years ago. He walks the earth for 33, 30, 33 years of his life. And then, like Les talked about last week, he's arrested, he's put on trial, then he's beaten, suffered, hangs on a cross, and he dies. Like his heart really stops beating. His lungs really start, stop breathing, and he's buried in a tomb. But then the claim is that three days later, on a Sunday morning, at a specific moment in history, his heart stops, starts beating again. His brain waves start working. Air fills his lungs, and he comes to life, body and soul. Yes, it's a glorified, transformed body that we're not really going to talk to him about, but it is the same body. The tomb is empty. And so everything that made Jesus fully human mind, emotions, will, is resurrected and transformed. That's the claim. And what Paul is saying is, look at verse 5 through 9. He's attesting to the, that it's a fact of history. He's writing this, this letter that's only 20 years after the events happened. Okay, So this is probably like 50 AD or something like that. And he's saying, look, the resurrected Jesus appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, he also then appears to all 12 disciples. Then he appears to more than 500 people at one time. He says, many of them are still alive. And then he points to himself and says, me, the most unworthy of the apostles. The reason that he's saying that is because his life was literally trying to kill and stamp out Christians who were claiming that Jesus was alive. 
That was so ludicrous to him that he was trying to destroy it. And yet he meets the resurrected Jesus. And so Paul is saying, I'm the last person in the world that would have ever believed that Jesus was actually alive. And so the only explanation for my life is I've seen and met the resurrected Jesus. And he says, and you can go talk to other people that have done it. He's saying it's not a bedtime story. That's his claim. So, right, one of the markers I think that we all have in our life now uh, is can you recall the moment that COVID-19 became a fact for you? Do you know what I mean? Like, if you were like me, there was a time back, I guess it was, gosh, 2019, I think, there was these rumors of this virus, and kind of this, you know, how seriously do we take it? I, I was one of those for a while. I was hearing about this thing over there. And I was like, really? We're going to cancel stuff? You know, starting to get mad. Well, I can remember the moment. For me, this will tell you what I'm like. An NBA game got canceled. And I was like, what? <laughs> that was the moment that it clicked for me that COVID is like a fact. Like it's here. And everything's about to change. It is no longer just this idea. That's what the bodily resurrection of Jesus is. It's claiming it's a fact of history. It's actually claiming it's the central fact of all of history that's been witnessed, that's been attested to. It changed Paul. It changed the disciples. It ignited a worldwide movement called the church that still has not been stopped. And it's dependent on this reality. That's the claim. So I just want to say two things uh, if, if that's the claim of the resurrection. First, and um, I miss some of these conversations with college students. Uh, I hope I still can have them with you. But like one of the great things that happens in college, a lot of times you begin to be honest about your doubts and your struggles with Christianity if you grew up in that context. And it's actually really good questions you usually have and a lot of good doubts. Like it'll be things like, well, uh, the church has hurt me or Christians has hurt me. And that is deep and that's real. Are questions about um, difficult passages in the Old Testament or, or is, is Scripture really inerrant? Or maybe there's, there's really dark things going on in your life and, and there's a real struggle of how could this God be good and this much pain be in my life? All those things are, are legitimate questions. But at some point, what you have to do with those questions and those doubts is you have to take them to what's central in Scripture you have to take them to the claim that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Because if Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it's not that those questions are shallow or illegitimate. It's just that's the first thing. Because if he's resurrected from the dead, then you have to listen to him. And those other questions, while real, are secondary and might only be found in light of who Jesus is. Don't dismiss Christianity and Jesus because of something going on in your life as hard as it is. Dismiss it if Jesus didn't come out of the grave. If he did, then we have to reckon with it. Which means, secondly, this is why Scripture, I think, is incredibly honest. It says this, the bodily resurrection of Jesus is so central. It's such a fact that if Christ has not been raised, you see this in verse 17, it says, our, it says your faith is futile. And then in verse 19, he actually goes on to say that if there's no resurrection, he actually says that Christians of all people should be pitied. Paul actually says if Jesus' body did not go out, come out of the grave, then everything that we're talking, like all this faith talk is just worthless. 
And the way that a Christian lives is like the person that should be most pitied in all the world. That's actually a sad life. That if you and I are Christian, there are things that you are lit. There's a shape of your life. If the resurrection isn't real, like it's just sad. How can he say that? And it's because of what the resurrection means. The resurrection, we're going to look at four things. According to, in this passage, you see that first, the resurrection means that Jesus is the Christ. See, over and over again, Paul in this chapter, actually, he doesn't use the name Jesus much. He keeps saying Christ has died, Christ has been raised, Christ has proclaimed. And if you grew up around the church, a lot of times we hear Christ, we think of it as like Jesus' last name. But that's not what it is. The Christ is, the, is from the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one which is the Greek translation of a Hebrew word in the Old Testament called Messiah. And that was a specific person that the Old Testament and actually all of world history was looking for because there was going to be somebody anointed from the line of David who was going to be the Christos, who was going to be the Savior of the world and heal everything that's wrong with this world and save it. And this is what I want you to hear. If there had, if there had been no resurrection of Jesus then Jesus' name would simply still be Jesus. He would not be known as the Christ. He would just be a Jewish peasant carpenter that maybe did some amazing things, maybe even did some miracles, and he taught some cool stuff, but he's not the Christ. He's not the hope of the world. The resurrection is the vindication. It's the proof that he is what he said he is. And again, I know if you grew up around the church, um, you realize that cross is symbolic with Christianity, right? We even have one here. People wear them. But that was not true in Jesus' day. Like in Jesus' day, the cross was not a symbol of victory or even the symbol of a Messiah. It was a symbol of defeat. Execution on the cross said exactly what you would think it would mean. It meant that Rome won. It meant that you were a failed Messiah. It meant you were a loser, <laughs> It meant you dared to claim to be some kind of power against Rome. And guess what? They defeated you again. That's why in Luke 24, you have these disciples. It's recorded after Jesus' death. They are sad and disappointed and walking on this road to Emmaus. And Jesus appears to them. They don't recognize him. It keeps them seeing it. And as he's talking to them, they tell them, they say, Well, Jesus of Nazareth, we thought was the one to redeem Israel. But their hopes are gone. Because he went to a cross which meant to them he's not the Messiah, but the resurrection. When Jesus' body comes out of the grave, it actually declares that he is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. That's what Romans 1-3 specifically says. It's showing the universe he is the one and only Savior of the world. And so look, I want to press this in again. If the resurrection of Christ did not happen, Christians of all people should be pitied. Because what that would mean is that we are forming our life around an utter lie. And I don't want to do that. Like, just this morning, think how silly. And I think it's good to be this black and white about this. It is silly what we're doing this morning if Jesus didn't come out of the grave. We are like singing songs to someone who is dead. We are praying prayers and these words are like floating up there to nothing. We're listening teaching from this ancient book. Uh, okay, it might make you feel good, but who cares? 
I mean it. Like, start sleeping in. Go have a good brunch. Like, it, it's better if Jesus didn't come out of the grave. And sometimes I think it's good to kind of realize that. But second of all, not only does it vindicate that, that he is the Christ, it actually says something about our sin. It, it proclaims that our sins have actually been forgiven, right? Look at verse 17. He makes this interesting assertion. He says, if Christ has not been raised and your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So Paul is saying that the resurrection is vitally connected to a person's relationship with sin. All the things that we've done wrong and all the stuff that we haven't done that we're supposed to have done, the resurrection of Jesus says something about that. What? I think I've used this analogy with you before, but you know how when you, um, when you go to Walmart, especially during like the holiday season and you start buying things and let's say you buy, um, like last Christmas, I bought a TV for my wife so we could escape from reality in our bedroom. And right. And when you buy those things, they don't fit in a bag and you like stick them under your cart. And when you start walking out, you know, Walmart has hired these people that stand at the gate. And as you start getting to them, I get nervous every time. I don't know what that tells me about myself, but I, because I, I know what's coming. And, and I'll pull up and he will say, receipt, please. Right. And I start like fumbling around. If I look at him and I say, I, hey, look, I paid for this. I promise. You do realize he's going to say, uh, where's the receipt? Because he needs proof that it's been paid for. But then when I hand him that receipt and for that nervous like 20 seconds, when he finally sees it and he highlights it, he lets me go on because there's proof. It's been paid for. See, back in verse 3, when it says Christ died for my sins, how do you know that Christ died for your sins? Because the removal of sin in Christianity is all dependent on the fact that Jesus was perfectly righteous and died on a cross covered in my sin and your sin and paying for it. The wages of sin is death. So how do you know that Jesus' death on a cross actually paid for all of your sin? The resurrection. The resurrection. At staff, at staff meeting, I was reminded that Kurt Presley used to always say that the cross is the payment for sin, but the resurrection is the receipt. If Jesus never comes out of the grave, we have no idea. It's either Jesus is just a man like everybody else and died and is paying for his own sin, or I guess Jesus might still be paying for my sin, but I don't know if it's enough. But the resurrection is the receipt. It's a highlight across the sky that says for all those who are in Christ, who have entrusted themselves to him, sin is paid for, forgiveness is fully granted, it's gone, it's full. Do you see the power of this? The resurrection means there's an objective outside of you confirmation of your forgiveness of sins. I just want you to think about that. Because if you're like me, so much of our behavior and our insecurity and our managing of people's opinions and our exhaustingly trying to do good Deep inside, that is this little effort to calm this whisper that says you're not really okay. You're not really forgiven. You're not really clean. So keep doing those things. But the resurrection is the stamp of complete forgiveness. And it's grounded in what Jesus done, has done, not in whether you feel forgiven or not, which is awesome. I hope you feel forgiven, but that's not what makes it true. It's not even grounded in, in, in how, how much your life has changed. It's grounded in the resurrection. And so without the resurrection, we do not know if there's forgiveness of sin. But with it, it's paid for. So we see that the resurrection vindicates Christ. 
It also pronounces uh, forgiveness of sin. It's the receipt. But third, it means death has been defeated, right? Verse 21, it says, by a man, talking about the first man in the world, Adam, death came into the world. So when Adam turns from God, who is life itself, if I turn from life, the consequence is death. And death is like this alien invasion that has come in and is decaying and destroying everything that God made good, everything that he loves, is destroying this world, is destroying his people. And Adam brought that in, in as our representative, and we're all born in that world of darkness and death and sin too. But Paul says, by a man, Jesus, who's the second Adam, has also come resurrection from the dead. See, resurrection means something actually happened to the reigning and enslaving power of death. When Jesus goes to the cross, when he wears my sin and wears my shame, what he also takes upon himself is death. And he absorbs it. And he lets death cover him. You know what the resurrection says? The resurrection, this is a quote of seminary professor, it's like if you were to take one of your lamps in your house and you hooked it up with no transmitter and you hooked it up directly to a nuclear power plant. Do you know what would happen if you hooked a nuclear power plant up to a 60 watt light bulb? It would literally blow it up from the inside out. It would explode it. It could not contain its power. When death encased and covered Jesus and took him down, the resurrection power, that divine power that brings Jesus back to life explodes death from the inside out. It just destroys it. So that now, I don't know if you picked up on this, it's so defanged death that there is now new language for death if you're a follower of Jesus, right? You see this in verse 6, in verse 18, verse 20. What it says about believers is not that they died, it says they've fallen asleep. Isn't that interesting? The Bible is not in denial about the reality of death. It's not sheepish about its language. It's not saying that we shouldn't grieve and cry. It's still going to call death an enemy. But it is saying that the, that the resurrection of Jesus has so defanged the power of death that if you belong to Christ, death now will not separate you from Christ. Actually, it's more like falling asleep. You get ushered into a greater joy in Christ and you just await awakening of something that we're about to talk about. So Donald Barnhouse, old pastor at uh, Second Pres in Philadelphia a, a long time ago, his wife actually died at a pretty young age from cancer. And so he was struggling to explain to his kids uh, just about death and where their mom was and what that was like. And so actually, as they were on their way to the burial, uh, in, kind of in the back of a car, a large truck passes by their car and this shadow kind of encases them and they feel it. And so Donald looked at his kids and he said, hey, did, did y'all feel that shadow? And they said, yes. And he said, okay, would you rather be hit by a truck are hit by a shadow. His kids were like, shadow. He said, exactly. He said, listen, Jesus got hit by the truck of death so that your mom only gets hit by the shadow. It's covered her, but she's with Jesus now. She's passed into his presence. That's why Paul elsewhere says the sting of death is gone. The defanging power is gone. Death is still a reality. But he has actually transformed it in such a way that death can no longer, here we go, corrupt your joys, corrupt your purpose. 
Because we do realize this, right? Death is the thing that kills all joy and kills all purpose. If my hope and my purpose is in having a great family or having a successful career or being well-liked or leaving a legacy, you do realize death destroys all those things. It corrupts all those things. But if your hope is planted in the resurrected Jesus, then should death come, and it will, then it actually only ushers you into a greater joy. You go to sleep. And then one day, someday, when Jesus returns, verse 26, that last enemy, and I love that it calls death an enemy. You don't have to make friends with it. It'll finally be destroyed forever. So you see the resurrection, it vindicates Christ. It pronounces forgiveness of sins. It's the receipt, and it means death has actually been defeated. And lastly and quickly, it means new creation has begun. Look at verse 20. It's interesting. He says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So he says, Christ's bodily resurrection is a first fruit, right? It's agricultural language. So if you were growing strawberries, that first fruit is that first crop. And if those strawberries are good and juicy, then it's a sample of what is to come. And Paul says that Jesus' bodily resurrection, it's the sample of what's to come. It's what to come for all of Jesus' people, all of those who belong to him. And it's actually what's to come for the whole universe. It's new creation. What happened to Jesus in his resurrection is exactly what's going to happen to all of his followers in all of creation. It'll be transformed because he's the first fruits. So apparently in Yellowstone National Park, I've never been, I've only read about this, there is this large geyser um, that will erupt and uh, shoot water some 200 feet for some five to 10 minutes. The thing about this geyser is it's actually not regular. So they can't, they can't schedule when to come see it. But they do know when it's going to go off because next to this large geyser is what they call an indicator, this very small formation. And what happens is when this little formation, this little geyser starts going off, it only shoots out, you know, water like, you know, 10 or 15 feet. But when somebody sees that, it's an indicator that in 20 to 30 minutes, the big geyser is about to explode. And so there's actually volunteers that watch it. And when it goes off, they go out over a loudspeaker. They start spreading the word. You got 30 minutes to get here because this thing is coming. This thing is going to blow. I want you to understand the bodily and transformation of the resurrected Jesus. It's an indicator geyser. When he comes off the grove, it, it comes out of the grave. It is signaling that new creation has begun. There's a new power that's at work in this world. And, and it's coming. It's guaranteed. It is flowing through this world. And one day, someday, everything else is going to go off. All of creation is going to become the new heavens and new earth. All of, all of uh, believers' bodies will be transformed. But it's at work now, pushing back sin, pushing back sickness, pushing back darkness, making all things new right now, and one day will explode. That's the resurrection, the promise that God is at work now. And I want you to, I want you, man, this is such good news. Because if you find yourself in dark places with real struggles, the resurrection says your struggle will not be forever. And that's what it begins to feel like. Like, am I always going to be a slave to people's approval? Am I always going to have my addictions? Am I always going to have these places of darkness? Plant that in the resurrection of Jesus. Because what you're being told is there is actually a power, if you unite him, at work in you now. Real transformation can happen now. Real change can happen now. Because the power of the resurrection, and one day he promises to complete it. He can actually change you. And 
What that means, and here's my ending application, right? If the bodily resurrection of Christ is a fact of history, and you have a living hope that not even death can, can touch, that actually means Christianity isn't a, just a bedtime fantasy story. And, and it means that all those other bedtime fantasy stories, they're actually real too. Right? We think of those stories as being kind of a break from reality. You do realize if the bodily resurrection of, of, of Christ is true, then all those stories, they're not a break from reality. They're a window into reality. Because that means there really is a world in crisis, as Jesus might sound about Mission Impossible. And there is someone who has descended into it and is going to fix this crisis. It actually means Harry Potter is true, that there really is a boy who lived and has come to face, to face evil and to take it on himself by his own death and resurrection. It means that beauty and the beast actually in some ways is real. That we are beasts and we cannot get out of this condition of, of being enslaved by sin. Yet there is a beauty that comes. And by his love, he loves us and changes us to be like himself. It means Rapunzel or Tangled or whatever you want to call it is actually true. <laughs> that we are entrapped in a tower that we cannot get out. We are enslaved. And a prince comes and looks for us and sets us free. It actually means the stories are windows into reality because there is a happily ever after. And it's with Jesus. The bodily resurrection of Jesus says Christianity is not a bedtime story. It's real. Jesus is alive. And that's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, we, um, man, we acknowledge, we acknowledge that um, it is, I guess you could say it's hard to believe sometimes the resurrection of Jesus today as it would have been 2,000 years ago. But by your spirit, you have convinced the disciples and those 500 people and thousands upon thousands and millions upon world history that you are the Christ, that forgiveness of sins is real, and that you're coming again. And would you convince us of that this morning? That would be really good news in Jesus' name. Amen.